Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday night. I'm trying to be efficient. And let's see if I can do the Haftarah this week. Haftarah Bash has told us. Um, get it on time. Today's uh, podcast, Haftarah Podcast, will be sponsored by the Rechtans, by Mrs. Rechtan, who uh, writes, this is for her mom, Liba Bas Betzal, Lisa Hammermish. Uh, she was born in 23 in Lodge. That's the wrong place to be born. <laughs> that means she was 17 when the war started. Yeah, here it is. She was just a teenager when war broke out. That's been, you know, some it's been, it's good. I know what I'm talking about. The teenagers at least have the health, you know, the, the young strength. Um, because the Polish went through five, six years of Hitler. You know, let, let's just think about that. She went through the real deal, the ghetto, and then various camps. Yep. I'm telling you, if she was 17, 18, 19 years old, from a Darwinian perspective, I don't wish it on anybody, from a Darwinian perspective, that was the, the, the health to be in. Uh, because the people who were weaker didn't make it. She weighed 83 pounds at the end. Yeah, my father weighed about 70, maybe a little less. Uh, and she suffered a variety of ailments, well, naturally. Uh, my goodness, so she went through Gehenna. But she rallied with that indomitable spirit, she writes, as so many of the survivors had. Right, I always say that. The ones who didn't have the indomitable spirit is called the Six Million. She lived to be almost 90, that's nice. And she managed to raise a family in Sinachas. Grandchildren were everything and good grades in school. I know that type. <laughs> I grew up surrounded by those types. Um, except I didn't have a grandparents. You know, um, that's understandable. And um, second here. Let me fix this. What does she say? She was always asked whether if they had a test and what was the grade, it better be an A. Yeah, 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 yeah. The art site is 25 cheshman, so that was two days ago. The Nifter and Shabbos Chayisara. Um, and we pay tribute to her memory. It's nice that the family wants to remember her. She was, you're never going to see anybody from the Holocaust as lucky, but you know what I'm saying. She managed to see a family and successors after her. Um, so now let's get to her. I want to just mention once again that I'm thinking about, I was uh, talking about this um, possible trip to Israel, one of my Jewish history trips. A couple of people indicated you know, interest. Uh, let me see if there are anybody else. And if there's a group, looks like we're putting a group together. We'll jump into this with both feet. Um, and my idea is to do it in January because I have my college schedule. You don't have to work around that. So for me, the best time would be in January. Um, so again, if you're interested in this at all, you'll get in touch with me. And now let's plunge into our Haftarah today, which is Malachi, uh, the last of the prophets. At least... That's the Jewish tradition. <clears throat> Although, you know, when it says Masa Dvarashem Amalachi, you know, the 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 Targum and others they say yes. What how do you trans- translate those words? Masa Dvarashem Amalachi. The prophetic vision of the Lord to Malachi. That's one shot. In other words, there was a guy named Malachi. Alternatively, Masa Dvarashem Malachi. Here's a Navur from Hashem to my Malach, to my messenger. 
So he may be referring to the prophet as a messenger. That's where they get the idea. It should be Ezra or somebody like that. Because Malachi just means my messenger. But usually you and I go with the idea, Malachi's a name. They're famous ra- rabbis named Malachi. What's his name? The Yad Malachi, for example. And so forth. Now, the Haftarah, as always, as I mentioned again, is connected with the parasha, but then goes off on its own. That's the funny thing about these Haftarahs. So, in the beginning, the reason we read the Haftarah is for the opening Pesukim. Uh, Malachi, who lives at the beginning of the temple, second temple, says, O Hafti Yisrael, Omar Hashem, come off tunnel. God says, I love you. Why? Aches of Yaakov, Ovis Yaakov, Asesos, and They're two brothers, Yaakov and Esav, and this week's parasha. I liked Yaakov, I hated Esav. I, God, arranged matters in such a way that not that Esav should be able to screw over Yaakov, but the other way around. Not that he should be able to take advantage, A should be able to take advantage of B, but B <laughs> ends up taking advantage of A. Because that is what happens to this week's parasha. One cheats the other, even while the other one's trying to cheat him. That's how it goes. So, Hashem is saying like this, I arranged it, I, God, made it, that should be twins, and I made it that this one should come out first, and I made it that, you know, the Gansamaisa. So, looking back many centuries later, Malachi, who of course is a Novi, who lives very interestingly at the beginning of the Baishani period, keep that in mind, Second Temple period, he's saying, listen, God loves you, if he says that, it must be people didn't feel that way. This reflects, as I understand it, the very difficult position at the beginning of the Second Temple period, which we only know from the book of Ezra, and that is that Cyrus, the king of Persia, allowed some to go back, but then he stopped in the middle. And those some, the Yeshub that was there, started building a temple, but then they were stopped. And there was an 18-year gap until they built the temple, but even then, they were under attack from the Arabs and from the Kusin and all this stuff. Which adventures are mentioned in the book of Nehemiah? Um, who arrived after the temple was built. Uh, and then there are internal problems with the Gohanim intermarrying and things of that nature. And so basically, they find a lot of sins, which is funny because they just got back to Israel. So everything should be hunky dory. They got back to Yushalayim. Nehemiah's going to build a wall. They built a base of Migdash. Hunky dory. And it wasn't. And it wasn't. And so people apparently got cynical. And the base of Migdash, the second temple, didn't turn out to what it was supposed to be. I think that's a verdict in general. I know the second base of Israel for many hundreds of years. But it wasn't what people had hoped. That's how we understand it by Shani. Although I'm oversimplifying Altogether, what's shot by Shani? What do you need that for? Why didn't Hashem just make it? He destroyed the first temple. And we waited out until you have the final Gula. Until you hit the Messianic Utopia. What do you need a second temple for? But they did. And as I said before, there are a lot of problems with the second temple. These are told in great detail, I guess, in um, Ezra and Nehemiah. I'm talking about things like intermarriage. I'm talking about things like the Chal Shabbos in Nehemiah. I'm talking about things like messing over the Truma and the Meiser, which is mentioned in our Haftarah today. Because the people say, how, how are we cheating God? And he says, a Truma of a Meiser. Right? You, you, in other words, you don't, you don't maintain the temple as you ought to. You should, should appreciate the fact you back, got back up Esau Migdash. 
and now it's it's short on funds, it's short on kabbonas, right? So, uh, you know, it's it, it's like that. Me bechem biyizgers dalsi beisi, you know, as the prophet says. So, this is what you call the reality after the movie's over. In a movie, they say it's over, live happily ever after, the end. But a marriage isn't like that, a relationship isn't like that, and a temple is not like that. You build a base of Mesh, everybody's happy, and then it takes a full-time business to operate it properly, including supplying the Kohan and Levian with the uh, Parnassah, what we call Truman and Meiser, supplying the base of Mesh with proper carbonas. The temple was a butcher shop, among other things. And 354 days a year in Jewish calendar. So just tell me how many animals you're talking about killing a year. To us today, killing the animals sounds funny, but we all know that's what the Torah has. So if you're going to build a base at Migdash, you're committing yourself to a major expense of thousands of animals per year, if not more. When I say it's not more, you know, how many people come on Pesach, for example? Let alone the other carbonates of the Menachas and all the rest of it. That's a big expense. I don't know what the, uh, the budget was. It's a big expense. Uh, and when there was a temple, there was an aesthetic and sensibility to treat the base image properly. And particularly, it shouldn't be something that what they would call disgusting, which is that the base image should be left without the carbonates. That's like a, a chil Hashem shen kamo. And chil Hashem is a major element of the Torah today. So yes, I loved Yaakov and I dumped Esau. And yes, I allowed Yaakov to prevail. And so Yaakov becomes the Mamlechus Kohanim Minat Esau. But what did he do with it? See, that's the problem. You want the prize. You work real hard for the prize. When you get the prize, what do you do with it? And, and, and the prophet complains. Notice God complains through the prophet that Jews are messing it up and they're not treating the, 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 the prize properly. And if the Goyim had been in charge, they would have done it properly. And that's the Chil Hashem. Okay? As it says over here, very famously and very bitterly, he said, you Jews give me lousy animals and stuff like that. And you feel like, you know, you're friends with God, therefore you don't have to treat me with respect. But, I don't want your lousy carbonists that you give uh, bad animals and uh, inferior products. That's in today's Torah. All over the world, the guy treat me with respect. By that means, as I understand it, that even in the pagan nations, the uh, greater of them did believe in an ultimate God. They just peopled the universe with intermediaries. Do you get what I'm saying? Many people think the Romans, the Greeks, the Persians, the others were totally um, stupid. And they worshipped Mycia Dehem, Atzabeam Kesabazov. And when the Romans, for example, or the Greeks, saw a statue, they thought this is a god. And they didn't know there was anything above that. And that's just not true. All these pagan religions that the Jews encountered, or at least most of them, understood that there's a grand Puba in charge of everything. But like the Rambam says very famously, although it's not exactly the way Rambam says it, that grand Pubab, the great spirit out there, whatever you call it, is perhaps inaccessible directly. And the way you have to do it is by peopling the universe through deities and intermediaries, and therefore if I talk to Apollo or Zeus, 
or is, uh, you know, the Zoroastrian system, or the Egyptian system, all the rest of it, I will somehow get to the headquarters upstairs. Whereas the Jews, in typical fashion, tell you, I'm eliminating the middleman, I'm just talking to the boss. I'm not wasting my time complaining to the uh, you know, employee in the store, I want to talk to the boss. You see? So, those Goyen, Godel Shmiba Goyen, how's it go? Mr. Shemavo, from one end of the earth to the other, Godel Shmiba Goyen, and they offer a proper and pure, um, what do you call it, uh, uh, offerings to the highest God. Because the Goyim treat me well. But you Jews treat me bad. Why? Because the Jews say like this, the Shulchan of God is disgusting. Meaning, why should I Spend money on expensive carbon. This is the Jew at his worst. Why should I spend money on expensive carbon? After all, God doesn't need my offerings. Doesn't, doesn't eat anything, doesn't really need it. Since it's all symbolic, I might as well bring a cheap animal. Uh, inferior quality, second rate, third rate. Save some money that way. That way I can squirrel away some money for the vacation I want. You get the, you get the philosophy behind that? If God really ate this, or smelled it, or something like that, that God needed it, all right, I hear, it would be bad that I'm denying him something he needs, and therefore he'll deny me something he needs. But since we all know God is above all this, the carbonists are all, you know, not literal. Shem doesn't really need it. Uh, so it's just a symbol. So let me save money by getting, you know, third, third rate. In other words, suppose I had a car, and the car really runs on electric. But for symbolic reasons, I want to fill it with gas. I'm not going to put in a high-test gas. I get the cheapest junk I can get because it doesn't need it. That's how they treat me. The guy in me, Hashem said, don't do that. They give me mincha tahora. You don't. Because the guy in understand that whether it's literal or not, it's a vart in respect. See? And covet. And by treating me the way you do, you show me no covet. And uh, it's interesting to hear God talk that way. But that's famous in this week's Parsha. Now, it doesn't have anything to do specifically with Yaakov and Esau, except that it does in the sense, and this is very cool, it's like a postscript on the Parsha. What do I mean the postscript? You're telling me that, you know, um, you're telling me that Yaakov won and defeated Esau. They got the blessing, and now he's the priest of the peoples. Big deal. You screwed it up. You have the prize, and you and, and you don't treat it right. Don't you understand that whoever gets the Bechorah has to act accordingly? And if you consider yourself the Bechorah of the nations, you have to relate to the Almighty with the years I covered. And Hashem is saying, I don't see no covered over here. I don't see no covered. Right? So it's, it's just interesting that the Prophet is trying to teach them I guess basic theology is that is that okay? Basic theology, and uh, the Kohanim aren't living up to what they what they're supposed to do. Now, uh, they could, and when he talks about Aaron, Aaron knew how to do it. Aaron knew what to do. 
but the descendants of Aaron don't know what to do. Well, no surprise there, because Ezra is a coin, and he comes and he finds all the Kohanim are corrupt. And they're intermarried to Goyim, no less. And the other Kohanim in the book of Chagai don't do well on, on their Bechin if they know the Hilchus Tumba Batara. So you're in a bait, you know what, a Shani Latumba, Shlishi Latumba, I think you know what I mean. Those who learn the Afyilmi will remember it in Psachim. You know, Chamisha Latumba, all that. Well, if, if you're working the base, maybe you should perfect your knowledge. But if you just consider it a formality, or maybe an opportunity to make a few bucks, or get a few, uh, you know, Matnas Kahuna over there, then you don't care about this stuff. It's just a means to an end. And you robbed the religion of the dignity. And the whole point of the mitzvahs, all the rest of it, is a dignity. Meaning moro. Aye moro e. Moro doesn't mean you're scared of God. Moro is a certain awe. Awe is the setting for an entire religious experience. Uh, this is something, by the way, nowadays, I think we have just... I'm not sure it's a modern sentiment. Because uh, we don't usually hang around kings and have that whole royal business that they used to have once upon a time. Today, the kings and queens are object of uh, TV shows. They make fun of Charles and Diana and so forth. And presidents of the United States, you're not in awe, get it? You're not in awe. If you went to see Donald Trump or Joe Biden, it's not in awe. I mean, it's a thrill of a certain type if you're into politics. But you're not standing, you know, in awe. Uh, once upon a time, it wasn't like that. If you got to see the Emperor of Rome or King Alexander or something like that, you came in with a whole sense of awe. And Kalbachomer for Hashem. So the whole point of a temple, you hear what I'm saying? Malachi is stressing, the whole point of a temple is to foster a sense of awe. Remember, in those days, there was no davening, no formal prayer, or perhaps it was just, just, just starting. And the question is, how does the individual relate to God? The temple, when it's run properly, is a place that teaches the average Jew who is not educated. And like I said before, didn't go to Shiva or something like that. And wasn't davening how to relate to God. Let's say I'm a regular farmer those times. And I didn't have a big education. It's not true the dumbest guy in those days is bigger than Moshe Feinstein. It's just not true. That's not what it's cotton or dirt means. And let's say you're a farmer. Male or female. You know there's Hashem out there. You know you need him for the crops. But how do you relate to him? When you go to base and make it's a tutorial. Or it's supposed to be. Right? It's a tutorial. You see at a quantum act with a dignity. Uh, later in history they got it right. I'm thinking of uh, Philo, I guess. He talks in one of his books. I believe it was the letter Agrippa wrote to Caligula that when the Roman general Agrippa, Marcus Agrippa, visited the temple, he was blown away because the Kohana operated so smoothly. There was no talking during the Avoda. Everybody knew exactly what he was doing. And the general Agrippa, not the Jew Agrippa, the guy, stood there for days. He didn't want to tour the rest of the country. He was just blown away by the beauty, the aesthetic beauty of the Avoda, the way it was performed at Kohana. Oh! That's what Malachi wants. But in his time, it wasn't there. Because he was at the beginning. It's true, call us, call us, cautious. I would not say necessarily the best of the Kohanim were the ones that made Aliyah. You hear what I'm saying? Listen closely. 
the elite of the Quran are not really the ones who made Ali up. The elite, which is kind of always the way it is. The elite of the Quran was like Ezra. He was the elite. And people like him, they were the big scholars and they stayed behind in the yeshivas in Bavel. Ezra didn't show up till later. Ezra didn't show up till later. I don't want to get technical. It might be that the prophecy of Malachi is before Ezra shows up, or maybe not. There's a six-month gap there. Uh, so you just had Kohanim who were willing to make Aliyah and build a temple. That's also a big Madriga, like Rav Cook style, you know, who also was a coin. But if you're really not an elite member with a sense of spirituality, Ruchnius, Moira, covered. What shall I say? And he, then you don't do a good performance. Then the person who comes to visit the base of Megdash, the Jew, sees the way of Buddha, walks out thinking, nope. So to use a modern example, there's a difference. You walk into a shoal and everything's done in a very myriadic fashion. You see that tefillah is done with a real sense of covenant and myra. Makes a Roshan. And suppose you come to another shoal, it's just a bunch of talking. And in the back, the guys are boozing. And this one's on the phone. That was making a deal. So it looks like a piece of that stock market. So the guy's not going to be able to get any ruchness out of that. And then he looks across the street and he sees the church. There everything's done right. You see? So the idea of the Chil Hashem is a very pronounced one in this week's Parsha. And it puts a certain spin on the story of Yaakov and Esau. And the discerning reader, I would say, is supposed to emerge from reading our parsha and say, yes, Yaakov won, but has Yaakov done a good job? The Bnei Yaakov, the children, the descendants of Yaakov. Have we done a good job? Can you say that anybody walks into a shul as a bagaister from all the, you know, the, the, the ruach and all the rest of it? I don't know. The work on synagogue dig, dig, uh, uh, dignity and all that, there's always a, a play. In modern times, it was the reform and the conservative that picked up on the decorum. So somehow or other, it made it that the Orthodox don't. Except for people like Sam's Ravel, Hirsch, and the others, who certainly were moved by these types of Haftaras. You know, Hirsch really read the Bible, <laughs> right? And, you know, uh, Moira, awe, covered dignity, all the rest of it, the big part of Hirsch, though he put together the tefillah. Um, the Eastern European Jews are like, this sounds Gaish. Hirsch is right, they were wrong. And that's the meaning of the Malachi. Now, I'm not saying we all do this, because most of us do not. But he's calling attention to something. And so, the, the, the how should I put it, the bad implication is like this. Sounds like if Asa would have won, the ritual would have been more dignified. The only problem is Asa would use it for bad purposes. So it's better to have the Chetsonius, even though the, I said it wrong, better have the Panemius, even though the Chetsonius is not good, than the other way around. And they have a good Chetsonius and a bad Panemius. But really, you need both. And there is something wrong if there's a good Panemius and a bad Chetsonius. And I think that's what Malachi is, is complaining about. And, uh, Therefore, he says, you guys treat Shulchan Mizbech Megolhu. And we even have an expression in the Gemara, Hakrivena Lepecha Segwa, just taken over here. 
in which he used a Goyim as the standard. You offer a carbon to Hashem. Would you dare offer a present like this, you know, to 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 to, to a pasha, to a to a guy, to a ruler? He wouldn't do that. So what's the shot? Oh, he would take it seriously. If I insult him, I'll be making a big mistake. If I'm bringing a present to Joseph Stalin, it better be the best of the best. Because if there's any indication that I'm showing a lack of respect in any area, Stalin's going to kill everybody in my neighborhood, including me and everybody I ever talked to. But when it comes to Hashem, it's a different story. And Malachi says, no, it's not. You don't have to be Joseph Stalin. You have to have a sense of awe. And uh, it's it's uh, just very interesting. All right? Uh, and you see God longs for this, because he said, that's who Aaron was. Sipsi Kohen Yishmur's words at the end. That Aaron knew how to do it right. Okay? Uh, notice, by running everything in a very dignified and hush way and very honest and promoting Moira and Kavad, Aaron brought many people back to Chuba. We don't usually think of Aaron this way. Right? So when Aaron sets up the Mishkan and puts the operation into place, that itself was a big plus to help Moshe Benu in his quest to get the Jews to march across the desert and get to the Promised Land. Until then, they were having issues with golden calves and all kinds of other junk. It wasn't perfect afterwards, so I'm not saying that. But this is a way of looking at the Mishkan, and it's not a second chance or something like that, but a tool necessary to communicate the sense of Av and covered and all that sort of thing, to the Claudius on the desert, to get them to therefore have a proper relationship with God, and therefore follow the rules and get there to Israel. Now we have a second temple. Um, it's not a Mishkan, but you find the same problem, which is where's an Aaron? They're the Bnei Aaron, but they're not acting like Aaron. He was, you know, Sipse Kon Yishmur Das. This is a... Uh, a charge against anybody in authority. It could be a rabbi, it could be a rabbi, it could be, you know, obviously Rosh Hashiva, any public figure. Uh, do they inspire, you know, covenant and awe or not? It's not so easy to answer that question. Do they inspire covenant for themselves <laughs> or do they inspire covenant for Hashem? Think about that. That's, that's not such an easy thing to answer. Right? There is such a thing called Kavod Torah. Correct. But is that an end for itself? Or is that, to give me an example, how to relate upstairs? These are some heavy ideas that the Torah plays with and problematizes in a wonderful way the story of Yaakov and Esau. Because just reading the story of Yaakov and Esau, you don't think about the future of Jewish history. It's always what happens when you read the Chumash. Just reading that famous story of all that we know. And the story we know has a happy ending. By that I mean, Yaakov prevails, gets the bracha, and escapes with Elisav killing him. I know there are problems that run away, but basically like that. Malachi, written thousands of years later, is raising the question, have we, you know, now we have this opportunity, are we using it right? Uh, one example is, not the only example, and not exactly, but I think it serves the purpose. Now you have a state of Israel. Are we using it right? Are we treating it right? Meaning, is it? are we acting in it the right way? Or are we also doing Lechem Magal 
and you know all this other stuff that shows a contempt. It, it could be something good, you know what I mean, like that. But are we going to use it for covenant and myra and oyum and all the rest of it? If the goyim had a holy land, they would treat it with special. I'm sorry to say that, right? And sechil Hashem, that you know, if they have the mosque up there, they'll treat it with a big covet. If you had the base of Mesh up there, is it true? Think about this. Everybody went every day to bring a carpet or something like that. The guy wouldn't be standing in the back with the cell phone talking to his agent. I've seen and you've seen people standing by the hotel. At the same time, the guy's texting <laughs> by the hotel and doing all kinds of stuff like that. And that's exactly what Malachi had in mind. How can you stand by the hotel and do that? The answer is you have no sense of awe, no sense of myra. So maybe that's the best image to end this talk. You juxtapose the Haftar of today, the Malachi, and the lack of proper respect for the base of English, and then take a look at how everybody's acting at the Kotel, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Anyway, it's, I think that Haftar strikes this year. Once again, I want to thank the uh, Rechtans and Sham Shavaliyah, and wish everybody a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.